Yeah, Boxeo is back on the In This Corner podcast with Brian Campbell as we return to get your motor running and provide another injection of that performance-enhancing audio. You won't need a USADA exception for this one. The Brian Campbell is back on your block, invading your free time with that one simple mission to become a permanent part of your week and invade your personal space. We got another big show coming at you in the sweet science, but before we run down what's to come and tag in the big ginger, let me ask you one more time to do me a personal favor. If you hear something today on the In This Corner podcast that you like, Head on over to Apple Podcasts, subscribe, rate, review. Heck, drop us a line on social media using that hashtag in this corner. Look, we want this show to be a huge success. We want to continue bringing big-name guests, big-time analysis. So do your part in the consummation of this audio monogamy. So without any further ado, though, let's get back to business. I back. Trust me. We'll be talking Mayweather-McGregor today after a wild international press tour from last week, recapping the latest news across the sport. We had a loaded Saturday of fights, a bunch of washed moments, if you will. We got some prime wash, some what does it look like coming at you. We've got you covered in the world of boxing. So here to break it all down with me is a stretch four with really the smoothest lefty jumper this side of Sam Perkins. He's in that sunshine state with that bomb-ass hemp beat. Yes, a state where you never find a dance floor empty. He's author, writer, editor, Supreme Rafe Bartholomew. Big Red, how is it? Brian, I'm on a mission for that cream. Uh, you know what? But but to get there, I'm going to need a little TUE even from USADA for a little bit of water. Do you, can you get me a little bit of water? Come on, let me, let me put some water on your ball. There it is. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Uh, I feel I'm ready. Now I'm, now I'm ready to go. I'm pumped. Ha! Ah! What's well, happening in the life of Rafe? What's going on on the West Side? You, uh, I always imagine you. Know, look, I've made one work trip to the left coast and all my plans of like visiting the the set of the wonder years house and all these like random locations was foiled by your traffic out there Rafe. so i haven't gotten the full experience i still assume though that la looks a lot like the movie white men can't jump is that your reality you just pull up to the the side of a church and play on those watts courts or what what's what's your life like these days so i mean brian i mean i live pretty far from i live in northeast la um you know like just a little bit west of pasadena and uh, it's a it's a haul to get down to uh, Venice or any of those places you're talking about where where the you know the great white man can't jump uh, you know scenes were filmed. There's a couple good courts in Pasadena that I work out in in the mornings. But you know I'm old man. I'm 35. I, I my my routine is I try and get out there early five six in the morning. You know do a lot of jump rope, get some shots up, feel like I still have some juice left in me, and then get out of there before anyone else shows up. All right, if you sip the juice, Rafe's still got enough to go around. You you still got game? I know people they don't they didn't come here to talk about your basketball game, but are you are you prime or washed right now? Where were you at? Uh, washed. I'm gonna say washed, but uh, I can still defend pretty well, and I got a lot of old man game. That's smart stuff. Would your former high school teammate Smush Parker recognize you in public at this point in your life, though? Yes, yes, yes. Uh, I saw him in New York uh, a year ago. All right, all right. So let's put that to bed. Speaking of New York, that was one stop on our Mayweather-McGregor international press tour. This week, it is our main event. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the main event of the evening. 
Rafe, it was a four-city monstrosity that hit us last week, stopping in Los Angeles, Toronto, Brooklyn, and London. That's a lot of jet fuel, okay, in a short amount of time, Rafe. Announcing, of course, and, and pushing that August 26th boxing super fight, if you will. It's a carnival. It's a lot of things. But one thing it was, Rafe, on the front page, on the headline of everything happening in the world of sports, this was the biggest sports story of the week. Reaction overall to what you saw over four days of, of, of just out of control. Well, on the positive side, it was it – was, uh, as big as it could have been. I, I mean, it felt bigger than anything we've felt bigger than anything I've seen in the sport of boxing and just the, the hype, the fanfare, the, you know, the, the amount of social media play it got. I think it accomplished all that the, they were trying to do in terms of building the fight, building the event and, and prove that there's going to be a lot of interest there to, to make a lot of money off this pay-per-view, which I think we uh, already believe, but here we have even more proof. And, and you know, I'm starting to hear the the projections on the pay-per-view, uh, you know, potential on this get a little higher and higher. And just the way people are talking about the fight, like maybe it really could break the record. Um, now, uh, on the other hand, you know, it was just... I'm just not a hype guy. Like, you know, I'm, I, you know, I, I, I'm into the, I, the circus is enough. I'm waiting for the real thing. Like let's, I'm just ready for the fight, you know, and it's not going to be a good fight, but that's all I really care about. Well, this was as circus as you can get. They exceeded, I think the circus expectations here. Now, look, there's positive and negatives that came out of it. I think I have to temper some of the negatives because us as being, you know, journalists, pseudo journalists, we, I mean, we watched four days in a row. I watched every second of the actual press conference. I watched almost every second of the behind-the-scenes, backstage, camera on-camera interviews, press interviews. I was there at the third stop in Brooklyn, which was a crap show, by the way, which was just a – which, if you want to talk about the low point of the tour, it may have been there that day, started 90 minutes late. The fighters skipped the pre-fight – the pre the pre-press conference, press conference, they skipped that. They ended up keeping the, the media there until almost midnight. It was a wild, out-of-control event that was sort of the low point in terms of the comedy and the material. But if we just focus for a second, Rafe, on the casual fan, right? The casual fan didn't watch every second for four days. They came in and out. They saw internet memes. They may have read a recap story and watched a video. And for the casual fan, which is really who this fight is aiming towards, I don't see how you can not call this World Press Tour an absolute home run. Because, Rafe, I came to the conclusion that no other fighters could have pulled this off what they pulled off. Now, the format was way too long. It should have been two days because they peaked Wednesday in Toronto. I don't think there was more of a high than that moment where I thought McGregor won the second day. They peaked in terms of getting you fired up and going, you know what? Yes, this is a circus, but man, give me that front row seat. I can't get enough. At that moment, Rafe, Wednesday evening when that ended, I, uh, for the first time, said this not only might, it will break the Pacquiao-Mayweather record because, yes, all the things we talked about in previous weeks, car wreck, train wreck, people can't get enough of that. But McGregor offers Mayweather something that he's never had. Somebody not just on his level to sell a fight, somebody who's better than him at selling a fight. And I, and I had some arguments with some journalists where I said, you know, this is something that Pacquiao could never do this. He could never be this guy in this role. And other people said, well, you're crazy. Mayweather Pacquiao was a real fight with a five-year build. People were buying for the real fight. My comeback to that, Rafe, is this. Casual fans, ca casual boxing fans, former boxing fans bought Mayweather Pacquiao because it was their entrance back into the sport. 
there's a limit to how many non-boxing fans bought that fight. Yes, a lot of non-boxing fans did because they got 4.6 million buys, which we never thought would be possible. But I think Mayweather McGregor has a chance to reach an even deeper reserve of those non-boxing fans because it's just so ridiculous. It's just so over the top. You now have to start to ask yourself, if this can break that, how high can it go? I asked my man Lou DiBella, who was there on Thursday in Brooklyn. He thinks $5 million. Dave Meltzer of the Wrestling Observer, who covers MMA as well and is on the inside of a lot of these things, he says he, he reports that Showtime, when trying to sell the ads, is projecting 7 million buys when they, when they reach out to their suitors. Wow, where are you falling in on after the impact of this week tour, how much it's going to affect these pay-per-views? How big could this thing be? Uh, as crazy as it sounds, that actually, you know, the 7 million could be there. I mean, I, I or, I, you know, I, I, and look, I don't have, I'm not Rick Glazer, right? I'm not, I'm not connected on the inside like that. I'm not here, you know, well actualing everyone on Facebook about the real pay-per-view numbers. I don't get my numbers straight from the source. Um, and I don't have, you know, the, the deep insider experience that, that some people, so, you know, some of the people you're talking to have when they're projecting this stuff. I could see it going, you know, it's just sort of t being like a Canelo Mayweather, De La Hoya Mayweather, two, two and a half million successful event. Or I could see it just blowing everything out of the water. I, I don't know. You know and and I, I, I don't really know where, you know, what's going to swing that one way or another. I guess... It is weird because I think there's so much casual interest in this. I mean, you saw the live streams of these three-hour press events, which were just mostly garbage, uh, getting 400, 500,000 views on YouTube in the moment. Not, you know, let alone people coming back and watching, ten, you know, ten minutes of them here and there. So that 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 kind of interest in the fight and plus the amount of just the way also the way that the media is is being a very good partner in this and that's you know uh cbs and showtime that's uh espn that's all the major everything is just all in on this and really going to help it build to a, a an event i mean it's you know the fight is going to have to be probably you know we know what the, we know that the fight is probably going to be a letdown in, in in a lot of ways but as an event Every everyone is sort of lining up to make this work. And it is sort of it is one of these weird like one hand washes the other thing where, all right, if we build up this fight, we're going to get the most, you know, we're going to get the most juice out of our page views if we need those or whatever it is we publish, you know, here on the media. And then all the fighters, they get as much money as they can can out of it. And then all the promoters and networks, they get the they get they get the, the kind of money they're they're hoping to get out of it. Everyone is sort of lining up to make this happen. And. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, we might be being sitting there being like, it happened, but not the but not the knockout, just the money. Yeah, it, the, the, I mean, the potential. I mean, you look at the ticket sales alone. They're throwing out a, a small handful of five hundred dollar seats. But in reality, there's a small amount. The, the cheapest ticket they're saying is really fifteen hundred dollars. That's at actual price. Do you realize what percentage of those tickets are going to go to the secondary markets who are then going to double and triple the price, quadruple times 10? I mean, this is just absurd, this entire event and the money reach and the reach that I, the point I was trying to make earlier that just goes far beyond 
casual boxing fans and ex-boxing fans. McGregor goes so far past that. I mean, it's impossible to watch a highlighted recap of these things and not be moved by the trash talk and McGregor's ability to be the maestro in the middle of that. And I want to talk about the format here as we sort of dip into the what was the negatives of this tour. The positive was, like, night two in Toronto, like I talked about, they just gave them the microphones and got out of the way, which changed from how the first one in L.A. was a little bit, you know, clunky and how it played off. The That was the best thing. I mean, night two was a comedic roast meets rap battle. I mean, it was incredible. Night three and four really went in the wrong direction. Some of it was Mayweather ran out of material. Some of it was, you know, there's a lot of travel in between these stops. These guys are probably worn down. It's like, how do you produce like that? I give them credit for what they did produce, but when they ran out of material or ran out of ideas, Rafe, and yeah, there were props, like Mayweather had money falling from the sky in Brooklyn. Like there were props like that. But outside of that, that's when they started to lean in the wrong direction on the jokes, on the four, you know, on the, the, topics which lent into the areas of race homophobia misogyny now i'm not going to sit here and get all like uh how dare they talk about this stuff because we know as fight fans these topics for better or worse and really for worse are still part of the the boxing and mma lexicon they still come out when two guys that are heated that want to fight each other are exchanging them the problem with this is like we talked about this fight is being zoomed into a whole new category of regular america and in 2017 reaching into these categories i thought could only hurt the situation i don't think it pulls away a let me let me rephrase that i think this whole tour escalates greatly the amount of pay-per-view buys they would have had had they not had the tour but does it hedge to a certain degree some of the views it could have had by people that did really tune in for days three and four and see that tired act of just ridiculousness? I think to a certain degree they pulled back some of those buys, Rafe. Were you, you know, did you get your panties in a wad over this? I mean, where were you at? I, didn't, I wouldn't say I got my panties in a wad, but I did. I was, um, I guess, you know, uh, ups, uh, off, put off by some of it. Basically, here, here's what it is for me. You're right. Like, these are, you know, some of the the attitudes, you know, whether they be, you know, whether it be overt or or uh, sort of uh, under the under the cover, you know, racist stuff, uh, whether it's the out, you know, just homophobic slurs, uh, all that those like fighters uh, are, you know, usually come, you know, almost always come from tough places and and aren't and 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 often don't even come from you know the United States now Floyd does and I think Connor is pretty uh conversant in how how people in America discuss those issues so I don't think either of them get that kind of pass but you know fighters come from rough places they don't always you know are, they 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 I don't really always think they should be expected to converse about race and and uh and all and social issues on this in the same way that like the internet uh, approves of at all times like they just are, are rougher around the edges but that's not what this was this wasn't guys sort of uh being their natural selves and 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 sort of veering off into uh you know bad or potentially offensive territory these were two guys very much in control of what they were saying and put in i think intentionally going there i think doubling down on you know connor doubling down on dance for me boy then doing i'm you know i'm black from the belly button down then calling him calling floyd a break dancer you know uh i mean that i think these guys know exactly what they're doing and i don't think floyd and, and touching kind of patting floyd on the head 
at the London press conference. Also, just a demeaning little thing that if you are inclined to uh, to to get behind the the you know the 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 hype of this fight as man this white guy is gonna beat the hell out of that black guy who has never been beaten and I've always wanted to see that black guy get his ass kicked. If you're if you are interested in that angle of the fight, they gave you a lot to work with, and they didn't do it because I don't think I don't think that McGregor is actually um, is actually racist. I think, and I and I and I and I think that Floyd and 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 Connor sort of, you know, Floyd was even laughing at some of the jokes, like you know, and and Leonard Ellerby was laughing the whole time. Um, yeah, Leonard I, Leonard had nothing but praise for Connor at every right. possible turn. Be, and 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 you get it because he has charisma. He sell he's selling the fight. They know that everything that Connor's doing is making them money, putting more money in their pockets. Um, but and and that to me is what what turned me off. It, it's just so cynical. It's it's. Um, they're not, it's not like a fighter who reveals some rough edge and, and, you know, kind of shows, you know, just something actually human. It's two guys, uh, exploiting sort of the most base aspects of, of, uh, of, I don't know, humanity. Well, let of, me ask of, you, you know, so you, people hating each other for no good reason. And, and we're going to make some money off of it. What you just said is what I saw a couple people come back at me at my timeline. Look, I was so worn out probably because being there in person in Brooklyn, it was just a, not a good show, so to speak, you know, 90 minutes started late. It was just everything you couldn't hear, even sitting in front of the stage, you couldn't hear what was being said. They had audio problems. So by the time the fourth day come around and it was the same format and I'm tired and then they drop in the tired race and homophobic comments at that point I'm like you're just hurting yourself you're just hurting the fight now you're taking away from what this was two days ago you're saying this was more calculated. This was yeah, like, I don't think, hey, I don't there's think people out there the we fight. haven't. I don't think that they lose. I don't think that they lose sales from certainly playing up the race angle. I mean, I think uh, Floyd dropping, you know, the 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 f word on him uh, for, in the homophobic slur was probably just Floyd uh, slipping, you know, just throwing that in there to to be a little bit more incendiary. I don't really know. I don't know if that uh, is really working an angle, but I do think they were working an angle with with the race stuff, uh, and I think that they are. I hate to say it. I think they're going to make money off of it because of that. And one of the things that, and one of the things that turned me off uh, about that was watching all. So it's okay. So we we get, we tend to give fighters a little more leeway, right? They're athletes. They're you know they they we don't expect them again to to necessarily you know carry themselves like like perfect perfect upstanding whatever members of you know like like college professors or whatever you want to you know whatever you want to call it but behind them you've got this row of millionaires guys who you know executives ceos um you know top broadcasters people who get into these fancy dinner parties where they would kick schlubs like me and you out they'd treat us like trash and they're back there laughing it up yucking it up i mean you really saw the monopoly men behind it all just high-fiving and it was i mean to me that was disgusting these people who 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 do carry themselves around as pillars of society um and making money and you know whatever i mean i guess when it comes down to it here you know, if it makes dollars, it makes sense. Like if you can get rich off it, do it. Cause no one can ever say to you, well, I'm mad at you. Cause you got rich. Like that's the ultimate Trump card to everything. It's just like, Oh, we made a ton of money. So 
that's that's it. You know, what what are you gonna what how can you come back at that? Floyd's that's sort of been Floyd's mantra for his entire career. Well, I don't care if you don't like it. I made a ton of money and you're and you're just stuck there being like, Well, I guess you're right, Floyd. Um you know that and takes this was me sort back of an to, extension of all that. That takes me back to after the final bell of round twelve in Mayweather Pacquiao, when people were disappointed that Pacquiao didn't empty the tank and go for it down the stretch. Remember when they hugged each other and Floyd had the smile on his face that was like Hey, bro, we did it. Like, we just, you know, we just conned America. We we got, five, you know, the five-year journey is complete. We got to the finish line. We're both standing. We're both healthy. Now we're going to cash in. There was a little bit too much of that feeling at the last day, two days of these tour. So while I was upset over the final two days that it dipped into the ridiculous too much, I thought, I think my anger in that case was underwritten by the idea that they weren't actually mad at each other. They didn't actually hate each other. They were two businessmen putting on a show. The first four days, it felt fun and genuine enough that you could buy into the show. But the last two days, when you're sprinkling on all this extra stuff that didn't need to be there, then it, to me, it sort of exposed these are really just two rich businessmen who are taking this fight, the, the narrative of this fight in the wrong direction, and they're possibly hurting themselves. And the reality is, you know, we saw the the memes of them coming off the same private jet to London, right, for the final day. I, I think everybody in that whole, you know, carnival charade flew together. And I think this fact is key here, Rafe. We know that Mayweather's unflappable. He went this entire tour without really showing any true colors, right? Like he puffed McGregor up at every turn and talked about how dangerous he is. And then he never snapped, even with McGregor, like being rude to May. First of all, Mayweather had his daughter, teenage daughter on stage with him. And I think he did that to try to disarm Connor a bit. But even when Connor got in his daughter's face, he didn't like get mad and try to step to him. He even let Connor tip the hat off his head. He let Connor slap him on the top of his head, like you said. I think that Floyd never showed any genuine, like real reaction kind of hurt the overall potential of where this could go because to the cynical people it exposed them as businessmen where had Floyd like said some of these ridiculous race homophobic things but said it in an angry way that was like no I'm really mad at you you went too far now we're really going to fight maybe people would be more interested in the fight aspect of this as to just the show does that make any sense that makes sense and and if this is all just sort of like you know this is all speculation we don't we're just sort of you know we don't really know how things would have played out my take on that though is that it was actually smart to not sort of clap back at Connor on this uh, about the race stuff because then that makes it a real story the way they were the way they played it with Connor, you know, be, sort of getting away with, to, with with the dance with me boys, with those kind of comments, which were, were really are, if, if, if it were said in almost any other public, uh, you know, public scenario, those would be pretty, con those would be extremely controversial things to do. People would get um, fired. Like if you were an yes, NFL quarterback. Those are fireable offenses for sure. Um, and by, by Floyd and Leonard Ellerby and his entire camp just sort of, you know, letting that you know, brushing it off their shoulder, acting like, oh, we don't care. We're bigger than you anyway. That allowed it. I think if, if I think if they had really come back and tried to press that issue against McGregor, then then the media sort of latches on to the racism angle in a much more negative way. In this case, there's a few think pieces. There's a few stories saying, well, you know, this was a little problematic. I don't know how I feel about this. But the show goes on and the money, you know, the money keeps flowing. Um I, now you know that that's my guess. However, you could be totally right. Where in some cases, just the more 
the more drama, the more chaos, the the better, the more money. You know, it's hard to tell. I think you have to sell. Okay, you have to sell McGregor's chances. Now, I think Floyd did not do a good job selling McGregor's chances because he oversold McGregor's chances in sort of a calm way. I thought McGregor did an incredible job vocally selling his chances by playing up the Mystic Mac element by being so confident in every turn and actually breaking down technically why he thinks he's going to win. I I mean, he's like. He seduces you as a as a not you know as an unbiased viewer into just believing his shtick because he has the track record in UFC of so many times being the underdog and predicting exactly how the fight's going to go and then delivering it in such dramatic fashion that I thought he sold it well. What I think that overall, and this probably falls more on Floyd, what they didn't sell well was that point I just tried to make: sell that Connor's actually in Floyd's head. So let Connor dominate the uh, the these comedic proceedings, right? Like. Floyd came back and he held his ground to a certain degree, but Floyd may have been better off to come out looking like a punk and to come out looking angry, like, oh man, this guy won up to me. He, you know, he might be in my head. That would sell the fight's chances more. But you know, the reality is people are either in on this circus or they're not. I'm probably really, really digging deep and picking to try to, you know, say, well, you could have done this. The one yeah, thing I they could have done you look was at it, Brian, they've already, they've already, you know, people have already bet down Mayweather's odds from like minus. 2200 to minus 700 so people i mean to even though to i guess there are so few of us people who actually follow boxing left on the planet uh that the there we're just so that 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 know that this fight uh is you know a mismatch by by definition uh that there's just enough people out there who are just willing to believe that, like, hey, this guy McGregor has been kicking ass in UFC. Let's go watch him beat up Floyd Mayweather. Is the is the best sport equivalent on this fight? And this is just real quick to go down this road, but is the best way to try to equate this that like there are Olympic decathletes, right? That do you know whatever? How many events are there? What eight to ten events in there? And it should be 10, right? That doesn't mean that in the 100 meters that they're top shelf elite world class, right? Or that doesn't mean right. in the pole vault they're top shelf. The MMA is essentially that of fighting. It's the decathlon of fighting. So Connor, within that decathlon, is really good at, at punching and boxing and, di and dictating space. But that doesn't mean that, you know... My only here's my only decathlon reference I can make. Was it was it Dan and Dave from the ninety two yeah, Olympics? Dan and Dave. That doesn't mean Dan and Dave can step onto Carl Lewis's block and take him out in the one hundred, right? I think that's the best way to sort of look at this for anybody that's sort of like, no, I've seen Connor land those four punch combos in MMA. Like it's a totally different thing. Rafe, something that was fun to do the first two days and became a chore the second do second two, but let's do it ourselves. Let's score each stop on this tour from the mental game, from the comedic presentation, from just who owned the tour. L.A. Rafe, I had a 10-9 Floyd. I, I'm, I think uh, I, I'm a 10-9 Connor. I think, I think McGregor won most of these. I will say, well, we'll go one by one. Okay, like we said on last week's show, I just thought Connor getting his mic cut and Floyd being allowed to sort of take the space. I thought he, we, we saw the pretty boy of old. He did it. Toronto, I thought it was 10-8 Connor. I thought he absolutely dominated. He had that pro UFC crowd there at that outdoor amphitheater, which I was once at a concert. I once saw fish there in 2000, Rafe, if you can believe Woo. it. All right, all right. Watch people get arrested left and right for uh, pharmaceuticals in the parking lot. I was not one of them. But I will say this, that uh, ten, Connor scored that one 10-7 for himself. I thought it was 10-8 all the way.
Uh, 10-7 is a little ambitious. Uh, I'll go with 10-8. That's fine. You okay. know, he, it was it was but it was the best press conference. Connor was sort of on on his game on every on every you know as much as pos- as he could possibly be, and uh, had a few of the big laugh lines of the of the entire of the entire press tour. That was the high. That whole tour stop was the high point of the tour where you could have talked me into believing they were going to sell 10 million fights that night. I was in on it. The third stop, Brooklyn. From the sound issues to being forced to wait 90 minutes to the crowd just being angry. Yeah, you had McGregor dressed ridiculously with that white mink coat. I love the balls on him to do that, by the way. You know, with the tattoos flowing and those ridiculous pants. But I thought not only was this a draw almost in like the WWE double countout, double disqualification sort of way, but I took away a point for each of them for being unoriginal, for being crass, and for making us wait that long. I scored it 9-9 as just a let's forget this thing ever happened. Maybe if somebody got the edge... Maybe Connor, but you know what? His stuff was lame, and it quickly devolved into just one of the worst things. And I'm not kidding, Rafe. And it's not just I'm a media member who was tired and angry about waiting. It's not just that. That was one of the worst things I've ever been a part of. It made me literally feel dirty when it ended and I walked out of there. 9-9 was my score. Wow, is that that's like a classic Jack Reese round, just like taking both guys and <laughs> get, just laying down the law. I mean, like, any more of this crap from you guys and you're both disqualified. Um, uh, I think that's a 10. I would give that one. I, I didn't have to be there. I only watched highlights. Uh, for me, it was a 10-9 Connor. Only, uh, 10-9 Floyd Mayweather. Floyd, Floyd Mayweather. Uh, <laughs> uh, only, <laughs> because, out, out. only because he... Uh, he he had what I think might become you know and I heard this on I think I think uh, you know shout out to uh, the corner podcast Andreas Hale and and uh, Kel Dansby I heard them talking about this that the um, what might become the image of the promotion the, the the rest of the promotion of the fight which is uh, Floyd making it rain on on Conor McGregor just throwing all the cat having all the singles fall on him just that shower of singles might become you know one of the most replayed moments in all the in all the highlight packages and all that kind of that that by by creating that moment even if it came it was only 30 seconds in the middle of eight hours of horrible you know disaster. <laughs> Whatever. Uh, Floyd, I think, deserves the win in that one. By the way, Floyd was the last one after that Brooklyn press conference, was the last one to get to the media room to meet with the media. They do the TV media room first, then they come to the print, or print, if if there's still print. Yeah, I guess in cities there's still print. The print media room, it was was pushing 10, 30, 11 p.m. He finally walks in, and we're all exhausted and angry, and he stops at the top of the podium and starts clapping for himself, says, before I'm going to sit down, I need you all to clap for me for that performance. And like, you know, like in every boxing press conference, they let in like two or three like hype men that I don't know how they got in there. They're probably part of the promotional team. They're friends. These guys were howling in the back and every media member was so salty looking at each other like, get through this. Fourth stop, Rafe, was London. And that was a short turnaround. If you can if you consider they didn't get out of Brooklyn until Wednesday, Thursday night at 11 p.m. Eastern. Then they start this show the next day at like 2 p.m. Eastern in uh, England, even though they didn't come on the stage until about four, which has been the the Axel Rose way of handling things. I give this one a 10-9. I thought Connor, while crass and over the top, did recharge his material to a certain degree. He had a suit on again. He brought it in front of the adoring fans, and Floyd was awful. Floyd not only dropped that that homophobic comment, he just basically recycled all his material. 10-9 from Connor to end the tour.
I'm with you. Uh, and also the other sort of big moment, you know, I would say was, uh, or, or it's sort of an image that you could, you could draw from this is, is, you know, Connor giving, giving Floyd the head pat and then doing the weird, like lick his hand and, and pretend to smack <laughs> him again. Uh, that is another one of those sort of flashbulb moments that I think we'll, we'll continue to see throughout all of the rest of the junk that gets produced to promote this fight. <laughs> 38-37, Connor, on my card. I think if you were scoring this fight Pride style as a whole, I would also score the four-stop tour to Connor as a as a clean victory. But like I said, I think they needed Connor to win this. I think that that he was the better showman. I think they needed him to put over his chances better. For all the hate I gave certain aspects of this tour, it was a success without question. We talked about some of the high moments. Do you have any specific high or low moment? We talked about the money falling. We talked about some of the negative side. of. Before, I want to give my best moment, I think. My best moment was something we didn't find out till the day after. Los Angeles, day one. Do you remember they had that first stare down at the end of it? And it was very intense, and Dana had to mm -hmm. break it up. They finally released audio of that the next day as the UFC does the Dana White video blog thing that they do every day on, on the lead into fights. They have audio of what they were saying together. At You know, it was the normal jawing back and forth. And at some point, Connor put on the crazy eyes and looked right into Mayweather's soul and said, I'm an effing animal. I'm an effing animal. I'm coming to kill you. And he said it was such a, like, a Cassius Clay intensity that it was like, whoa. I think that moment with the FU suit on for me was sort of the... If they're going to sell it the right way, this is the right way. To sell him as a deranged crazy man, which they did not do enough of. They sold him, sold him more as a funny clown. Sell him as a deranged crazy man. And I still think by never putting his hands on Floyd, even though they claimed there was no nothing in the contract that said he couldn't have, I think they failed in that. He never you know, he slapped him on the head, yes, but he never pushed him or got in his face. But that moment was like, oh, man, it's on. This could be a real fight if Connor is this crazy. That was my high point outside of how good the show in Toronto was. Do you have any lingering memories in that regard? Well, I guess the the this is a, sort of a tangential thing, and we're going to get into it anyway. But, uh, you know, and this is not to, to uh, this is not out of any specific animosity towards uh, head of Showtime, Steven Espinosa. <laughs> uh, but there was just a, a moment where Connor sort of, you know, he was, he was mad at Showtime for for sort of the way they handled the press events and, and set it up in boxing style and weren't letting him get off and do sort of what he, you know, let him be his his full, let his freak flag fly all the way. <laughs> uh, and, and you know, he gets the crowd to do the F Mayweather chant. And then he's like, and well, we're at it. F Showtime too. And he walks over to Steven Espinosa. He's like, you're a effing weasel. He's like, <laughs> look at you, you effing weasel. You're, you're a, you know, and uh, it was just, uh, it was one of those funny things where you, you rarely see the uh, the tables get turned on the on this guys in the you know the suits and uh, uh, I thought Steven Espinoza handled it very well he did you know he just sort of smirked it off and and you know enjoyed being part part of the show and it, that's another one of those so moments that I'm not gonna forget I stirred that pot a little I first of all I love Steven Espinoza I think he's hilarious you know yeah he's got like he's always had that he's always pulled off well sort of that slimy vibe mixed with the he could be your buddy type of vibe like he pulls off that raconteur thing pretty well I when he got buried which you just mentioned in LA by Connor and that was a hilarious rant calling him the weasel all that the next day in Brooklyn I went on like a three question uh, spree again I was sitting right in front of Espinosa and asked him you know what he thought about that was he hurt was he upset you know did he consider coming back and then I made the mention I'm like you know Larry Merchant had his moment he had his soundbite moment there against Floyd did you can do you regret not having that back he said the right answer right 
he said no, but you could see in his eyes almost that he was like, man, I, I, I did regret that. Like it was almost because he followed it up with essentially saying that, you know, I mean, I got a bit of a temper too. And he, you know, he pushed my buttons. And if you saw that night in Brooklyn, Connor threw a shot at him, but it wasn't too serious. But in London, Connor got in his face one final time, and it looked like Espinosa was about to get out of his chair. And then Connor was like, "You know, what the f are you gonna do? You're gonna do f and nothing. Sit back down, you b." I mean, it was just like it was pretty hilarious stuff. But I thought for a second SB was gonna have his moment, like he was really gonna get in Connor's face and have that little moment there. You know what? He probably should have. He probably should have, you know? It would make us forget about that picture that time that was online. I mean, he probably should have done that, you know? <laughs> hey, Ray! It would also, I mean, you talk about something that would build, you know, some some crazy headlines for the fight would be, you know, uh, Conor McGregor, you know, does, you know, puts, you know, puts Steven Espinosa to sleep or something at, at the London press tour. And then, you know, but Showtime definitely is, you know, he's right. What are they going to do? They're not going to call. I mean, it's one of those things where what could one of these fighters do to make this event go away at this point. I don't think there's anything. I think, I, you know, I mean, it could get pretty dark. You know, they could they could commit some really heinous <laughs> crimes. And uh, and I think that, you know, everyone would just postpone the uh, the arraignment and, and everything until uh, after August 26th. Ray, if I made the comment on the way out here that no other fighters could have pulled this off. Like, the one thing I'll give both fighters credit for is being – Stepping up to the moment and being as big as the moment needed them to be, and it was a lofty expectation. Even Floyd put the Irish flag on his back in Brooklyn, willingly played the villain role, right? I mean, walked into London, the same thing. Are there any other fighters in boxing, you know, not in Mayweather's weight class that we've never seen him against that you think could have come close to pulling this off and making it feel this big with their performance? No, I don't think so. I mean, we, there's just – there. there we, we of course, we know uh, – we've, we've met – interviewed, seen, followed uh, fighters, you know, over the years that have great personalities, can really sell a fight, all of the, all, all this and all that. But just, you know, this is really about fame and money. And then on top, so I guess, I guess you look at Mayweather Pacquiao, that was a fight where, you know, you had fame and money and, and anticipation and all of those things. And you didn't really, and it sold itself. I mean, people have been waiting for the fight for five years. It had been, it had been building all that time. Here's one. You have the fame and the money and some anticipation, even if it's a little bit, uh, it's more of a circus style anticipation than a, uh, than a, you know, competition based anticipation. You have all those elements plus, you know, McGregor, who is, can, I think, you know, probably the best, you know, I can't, I, I can't think of anyone who could sell this fight quite like he has. Uh, and it, it got ugly in a lot of ways. And I don't, I don't really love what it says about us that that's the way to, to sell a fight. But boy, did he sell it. And, you know, Floyd doesn't really do his Floyd's act doesn't really happen, in, you know, live. It's more it's more planned. It's more in videos. Uh, but he didn't really, he, you know, Floyd, all he had to do was bring himself, his record, the animosity he's built up over with with uh, a lot of sports fans over his entire career and allow McGregor to just riff off that. And boom, you've got like, you know, a lot of money coming. Yeah, it made, you appre it made me appreciate Connor's ability as an entertainer. It made, you know, it made me appreciate Floyd, who's always been good. It, it also made me appreciate uh, Ricardo Mayorga, by the way, because I think he might be the only guy who, who legitimately could have been in this type of situation if he had spoken English and been able to pull this off. But Rafe, let's transition to our news and notes segment, which does have Connor McGregor in it. Number one, Brandon Reed 
Rios, the washed, awesome, brawling Mexican fighter that we all love, Mexican-American, squashed rumors that he KO'd Conor McGregor in sparring. These rumors had bounced around for the past 24 hours, but take a step back because Ellie Secback got and got a phone call to Brandon to squash it. Brandon was basically, what he basically been like? I don't know that MF. Is that essentially what he said? I never met that guy? Yeah. Uh, I don't care. You know, once a rumor is out, it becomes real. I, You know, it doesn't matter. Uh, you know, we all know how many times Chad Dawson got knocked out in, in training going into his, uh, his fight with Andre Ward. You know, I mean, these, if, it, if it hits the rumor mill, it becomes part of the story. Yeah, I guess you're right. Also, in, in related news to that, which had been rumored for a while, it came out last week, Paulie Malinagi will join Conor McGregor's camp as they, as they you know, get back together after this press tour as a sparring partner, hopes to be more than that for Conor, hopes to be like a, you know, like a voice of reason from a boxing perspective. It was interesting at the end of the Toronto, day two of the press tour, when afterwards the Showtime stream was still running, they had Floyd on set, and Paulie almost looked like nervous, like, you know, hey, Floyd, you know, sorry, I am going to sign on with Connor. And Floyd, to his credit, was like, Paulie, 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 no, it's business. It's business. I, I respect you. It's business. You know, and it's it's interesting here that he got the call. Can Paulie add anything in your mind that could help or change this fight? Yeah, I think I mean, just having we we I mean, I, we we've seen as a fighter and as a commentator that that Paulie is a very, very smart boxer, has a great boxing mind um, and whatever however he can help connor you know learn learn to box in what is now five or six weeks uh is gonna help now is it gonna be enough no it's not it, it can't be enough you can't replace a lifetime of elite experience uh in just a couple in just a, in, in a month and a half of training uh doesn't matter who you bring in um but uh, yeah, I think it'll help, and 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 Paulie can you know help 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 them break down film, help however they all, all of the different things that go into a training camp, uh, both you know in the ring as a sparring partner and just as another brain uh, if they choose to use Paulie, and I hope I think they should if he's going to be out there, um, I think they should use his brain and 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 ask him to help with game plans and everything else. Um, that uh, yeah, I mean it it it's it's helpful. It doesn't make does it does it you know. Think how how much more? Hey, let me ask you, how much more likely do, does that this make uh, Connor to to win the fight? No, I mean no, no, like because that's not the style. Obviously, he can't employ Paulie's style to win. He's got to be wild, not a control. I mean, if anything, he should bring in Madonna, right? Like to to sort of help him through this. I mean, Paulie, I guess could mimic a slick, quick boxer like Floyd to a certain degree. But if I'm Paulie, I get in on the storyline here. I might think about uh, taking Floyd's side piece really, and to just kind of like really stir the pot for this. You know, what do you think about that? I mean, I, I just, I think, you know, Paulie's been down that road. He's had it happen to him. He's felt that pain. Well, yeah, but he can go to Girl Collection. To another man. Go to Vegas, go to Girl Collection or whatever the heck Floyd's, uh, you know, Floyd is a ridiculous businessman, by the way. I know he has, like, he never has any sponsorships outside of the Hublot one for that Pacquiao fight. And he's, that's sort of part of his legacy, right? Like, he won't wear somebody else's brand. Or maybe that means that no sponsor would put a guy with his history on the face of it. But the guy, the business, the side business he goes into is, 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 uh, gentlemen. Club, so yeah, I guess you know, hey, hey, right? Cash every, business, every, it's a, it is a cash business. Uh, let's just get out of here and go to number two on our news and notes. Uh, Freddie Rhodes, the trainer of Manny Pacquiao, is going live in the media and telling everybody that he's advising Manny to fight Jeff Horn in the rematch or retire. Now, Ray Freddie talks a lot, and I think a lot of times he talks as if he actually has influence. I, I take from the outside looking in that he actually doesn't have influence. 
but he just likes to talk. Do you take anything from this that he actually is a voice of reason, a father figure in Manny's ear, and that Manny would listen to him say, fight Horn or retire? Because I think Pacquiao's going to fight till he's about 49, so that's just my take. I think that Manny pretty much does what he feels like doing. Um, that's been his, I mean, you know, I mean, you look at his life outside boxing. It, it was, I feel like recording an album. Okay. I feel like, you know, becoming a politician. Okay. I feel like becoming a basketball player coach in the Philippine, you know, basketball association, a real professional basketball league. Okay. You can do that. He does what he basically has, you know, uh, is in a position where he can almost do whatever he wants. Um, and, and I, I'm sure he respects Freddie Roach. They have all this history together, but no, um, I don't think, you know, Fred, that's good advice. I agree with it. Um, I think that, and, and, and in a weird way, we talked about this before the, the loss to Jeff Horn. Um, although I, I don't think it was the right decision gives Manny a, a, it sort of writes a new path out of the sport that is a lot more graceful than maybe some of the ones we thought might happen to him. Um, uh, and uh, it would be nice to see Manny take that road, or at least take the rematch first and see, see, and and, and go from there. Um, but I, I do think you're right. I I, I tend to agree. He's going to be fighting till he's pretty old and and even and and dangerously washed, which he isn't currently, um, which is sad. But I think you look at Manny. That and for all of the things that he has done, all the things I want to do this, I want to go. You know, I'm going to become a senator. I'm going to be a basketball coach. I'm going to blah 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 blah. He still looks most himself when he's in a fight, and I think that's you know that 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 whatever it is, you know, I mean, it makes sense. Wow, you just gave me the feels the only there. Thing, that's the only thing he's been doing since he's 12, 13 years old. That's the that's what that's that's where you see Manny Pacquiao is still allowed to just be Manny. Wow, I just um, caught the feels. Remember um, Miguel Cotto and Melissa sitting in the locker room after yeah, the Trout fight on Showtime All Access? What, what else? Well, what else am I going to do with my life? Wow! Um, wow! Uh, I think he's going to keep going back to that. Um, and I, I, you know, I, I wish him the best uh, in a lot of ways, but it, we know how that story ends. A side note to that is uh, Bob Arum likes your idea, by the way. If Manny does not want the rematch, he wants Terrence Crawford to fight Jeff Horn. Of course he does. And now Bob is saying Jeff Horn might be one of the toughest fighters at 147. Stop it, please. Rafe, moving on, the so-so-so-washed legend Juan Ma Lopez, age 34, in talks to face former top prospect and sexy Sergio Martinez clone Jason Velez in a September all Puerto Rican war. Now, Rafe Velez, once a, a guy we thought was going to go places, 29 years old, had four losses, but they came in succession from 2015 to 2016, all by decision, though, one by majority, one by split. Guys like Ronnie Rios, Jojo Diaz. So it's not like he's getting bounced around and completely washed. He's rebounded with two wins in a row. But Juanma gave himself new life by knocking out Wilfredo Vesquez Jr. and then exchanging two pieces with his trainer. Do, do you pop for the idea at an all Puerto Rico war here? For I mean, because Juanma might be, he may have been the youngest washed fighter outside of Riddick Bowe ever. Like it really, ever. Yes, uh, I don't really. I mean, how do you pop for this? Who this is? A, this is a fight that none of us are going to watch. Uh, we're oh, just yes, going we to see the highlights the following day and hope that something crazy happened. Um, you know, I, I it's not it's fine. I'm I'm not against it. Uh, I I I enjoy Wanma. I, I think that it's sort of cool now. He's he's sort of you know turning his anger against his own. You know, he's he's going out and beating every other sort of middling Puerto Rican uh, contender in his in his in and around his uh, his you know his weight. Uh, 
but no, it's not like a fight I'm excited about. I mean, Wanma is is, is a, a funny boxing character at this point. I'm and shocked by this. To, to the extent that he doesn't uh, hurt himself, you know, horribly, I I support his uh, his career as a funny boxing character. For, first of all, you love <laughs> you love the the crappy the, the funny wash side of boxing more than anybody. I thought you would pop for this. The problem is that Juan Ma was washed when he was like thirty years old, right? Like it was so early that. These guys, you know, they'll go away for a year, sort of like Brandon Rios, but they're not staying away, right? They don't have any other way to make this much money. They don't have any other vice in their life that gives them the rush and thrill. Unfortunately, it's the way it is, and if he's going to be back, why not in, for big money in Puerto Rico in an, in an all-island war against Velez, who's, you know, he can fight in an action style. He's more of a boxer, but I'd actually pop for this fight. I actually want to see this, okay? I'm tied into the, to the, to the end of the Juan Ma train, even though. I was not only ringside for that loss to uh, to Cuellar of Argentina in oh, Vegas yeah, that, that time, the night before Mayweather Maidana, but I was front row at like the Hard Rock where you sit so close to the ring that you almost can touch the ring from your media seat. And after Juan Gob- Manma got gobbled up and KO'd, his uh, cut man cut off his, gl- his hand wraps and just threw them outside of the ring at my feet. So I almost, I had, was in a boxing souvenir moment, I almost picked up the bloody hand wraps of Juan Ma's last career fight of this, not, a legend's a, a strong word, he's not a legend, right? But And I, I, I came to my senses and realized how disgusting that was and I kicked it forward and let it go. Of course he's going to fight another 17 times after that, but you know, it was almost a part of history right there, Rafe. That could have been tacked on my wall like Willie Mays Hayes putting those 100, uh, 100 black gloves on there for all the steals. Yeah, I just watched Major League the other day. Rafe, let's get out of here with news and notes on our final one. Bob Arum credits the success of the UFC on Fox model, the landmark deal they signed in 2011, which will be up later this year, with convincing him that he needed to leave HBO to sign this deal with ESPN, which featured the Pacquiao-Horn fight, and you'll see Lomachenko, you'll see Crawford in important fights on the network, and rumors that this is going to be extended for many years. His quote to the Las Vegas Journal Review was, the UFC showed us that you need free television to advertise your product to people to become familiar with. Their deal with Fox helped make UFC the product it became, while we in boxing were limiting ourselves to premium networks, end quote. Rafe, what shocked me here is that Aram has always been the biggest rip on, on an MMA and UFC possible. I mean, he's still the guy dropping homophobic references, talking about that sport in general. Now he's saying, no, we learned from them. And, you know, him and, and Todd DeBuff have gone public lately and just sort of say, like, HBO is a uh, – it's not a sports network, bottom line. It's not only a premium network. It's not a sports network. You're not convincing sports fans to watch that. What do you make of Bob going to ESPN and sort of the, the larger picture of looking at the UFC and, and, and taking that as an example? Uh, I mean, reading quotes like that, it, it still sounds like it's on. They're they're almost too angled at HBO to make me think that 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 Aram isn't working some kind of uh, you know working some kind of Aram mind trick uh, or <laughs> trying one on uh, on on the folks at HBO. The whole stuff with like, well, we in boxing we're limiting ourselves to premium networks. I mean, that's that's such an obvious twist of the knife that. Uh, part of me still thinks the the ultimate goal is to you know bring everything back to to HBO and and cut a deal and just get more money for the fights that he wants to have there. But uh, if they do stick with ESPN and and we get you know real what we used to consider uh, you know like premium cable quality HBO championship boxing quality fights, boxing after dark quality fights, 
on ESPN on regular cable, that's great. I mean, I I have no, you know, I, you know, we're HBO doesn't pay us to podcast. Oh, uh, um, <laughs> I love you, Karen. Um, um, but Karen, no, I Karen mean, Mulvaney, like they, ESPN heavy hitting boxing podcast. <laughs> Um, no, um, yeah, ESPN boxing. If we could get boxing, good boxing on ESPN, that's great. Why not? Yeah, yeah, it's great. I mean, look, that's what the PBC should have been, right? Good fights on TV that tells a larger story where fights are connected. I win this fight, I get to go to this fight, right? All the way on up to the pay-per-view level. The biggest question for me, you know, and it's, it's just interesting that Aram acknowledges UFC success, but the biggest question for me, we've teased on it in the past, is really, what does HBO do? If Aram is for real, if he's t taking all of his fighters away from HBO, like HBO, what do they have left? You got Ward, you got Triple G, you got Canelo and, and Oscar's stable, right? Yeah, I guess you could do another Klitschko fight maybe, but you're doing flyweights. That's not enough to fill out a whole year on a network, is it? Or, is it, or does Oscar just step up his game and, and HBO is now Oscar's territory? Well, if it's real... If this if, if this is real and if most boxing, you know, major boxing promoters are moving away from HBO and away from perhaps away from premium cable. And we don't know really the whole Showtime, Heyman, PBC, where, you know, how much of that is still going um, uh, or, or if it will, con you know, or if they will have more like non uh, Showtime dates moving forward. But in any case, HBO, I think probably what they do is what we see other Play, other media companies do when they have sort of something dying on the vine, but they're a much bigger company. This is not a big deal to HBO's bottom line, something that is traditionally important to them and that we value. I mean, we still kind of think of HBO and HBO pay-per-view as the biggest stage. It doesn't quite feel as real without Harold giving, uh, without <laughs> Harold giving scores after the third and sixth and ninth rounds, without Lampley, without, you know, without Roy, without all those voices. I mean, those are really the premier voices. Um, and the premier HBO bo boxing podcast, I need to show them some love after messing around earlier. Um, and, um, but, you know, to HBO in the big picture, they can just be like, all right, well, let's let's make some, you know, let's go ahead. We'll have these last fights that we're committed to. We'll if, if good business presents itself, we can always take it. Uh, but otherwise, let let that stuff shrivel up and disappear and move on with the, whatever the heck else they want to do. Wow, you know, make fantasy shows. You're basically saying HBO might be done. That's what you're sort of saying. You're saying they could be done. I mean, they might go in that Why direction. Why not? Well, if you're HBO on the in the big picture, not HBO Sports or HBO Boxing or, you know, uh, you know, why not walk away? Wow. Wow. I didn't expect that coming out of you. Interesting. I don't want it to happen. I like HBO. I'm a subscriber. I mean, that's oh, I love it. I love I, the most history. of the HBO I watch. They're, they 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 really do make boxing feel uh, elevated in a way that yes. no one else does. It, um, but this but, Aram to ESPN thing is great for boxing, though. Great, yeah. right? I mean, you get. I mean, it's just it's great. How is it not great? How is it not great for casual fans to not run into a Lomachenko fight and be like, "Wow, who's this guy?" Right? Where they would never run into it on HBO. It's just the bottom line, right? Unless you're there for Game of Thrones. But even then, there's like 18 HBO channels. I mean, it's not. It's not. You could argue there's eight ESPN channels, but still, it's that bottom line that even with cable cutting, every restaurant or bar or gym you go into. ESPN's on the screen, and that's just the, the reality of where it is. Yes, we want more better boxing on there. Yes. Final spinoff question on this, Rafe, is we touched a couple weeks ago on sort of the, you know, primer-washed PBC. 
they had a PBC on Fox card this week, and it, it, with no real announcement or anything, it kind of felt like this is the end of the line of those original 2015 Prime TV deals, because I don't see any other on the calendar of PBC on NBC or PBC on, on whatever. It feels like this is the slow end of that original, you know, free boxing for everyone type of movement, you know, from, from January, February 2015. It's been a overall pretty much a failure. We can argue whether... Heyman screwed up or did he know this was going to happen going in all that kind of stuff but from here on out do we ever see the PBC again on on big TV outside of what they do with Showtime CBS I mean is this do you think did it feel like the end of the road for you uh, that that's really a financial question that we'll never really be able to answer because we never knew anything about how much money they, I mean, we knew little bits of, you know, of stockholder information, Waddell and Reed, like, <laughs> you know, the capital statements. I mean, there, you know, we, we were able to suss out tiny bits of information, but, but without ever getting any real clarity, we don't even know what PBC's actual goal was we can guess we know what some of the things it tried to do but we don't know if if if, if Heyman and the people at pbc actually believed that they were going to make boxing uh, a, a mainstay on on network tv and big and 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 cable net and free cable networks by doing time buys if they thought that was something that was going to continue or that they would be able to flip it and then convince those bodies to buy fights from them who knows what they really thought i mean you could look at it and say well maybe they just considered it like a robin hood thing where they managed to talk a a big venture capital firm to dump a trunk load of money on them and they're like we're going to spend it on fighters and putting and overpaying fighters which i i as a as a fan of fighters i'm not against overpay them they get they it's a, it's a brutal sport uh and and also putting them in front of huge TV audiences bigger than they would get on Showtime, which is where Heyman fighters were fighting before then. So if if that was if it ended up being kind of a a, a short term cynical play like that, I'm not against that either. And you see, I mean, the 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 sport sort of rolls on. You know, this is this is 2017. Everyone can't stop talking about what a great year it is for boxing. I will see you all in 2018 when we are watching <laughs> Jeff Horn versus God knows who. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, this great year for boxing. It's gonna, and it's not all happening on HBO. It's not all happening on Showtime. There's this weird ESPN deals popping up. Things are things are always gonna happen. The the sport, you know, is is whack a mole. You can't kill it. You know, Larry Merchant. So, it will always he will always be right. It cannot be saved and it cannot be killed. Boxing is gonna go on. Um, so we it's impossible to evaluate PBC because they never told us they never yeah. set any ground rules so it was kind it's kind of genius in that way um it's not it's it's probably not going to be the future of boxing we're not going to see that forever and ever like that but it was something that came and and did some good and 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 that's probably it if this is the end of it on major TV of those original time by deals, I don't know, right? We don't have contract language. It feels like a lot of those deals, though, were two or two and a half year deals. If if it goes, if it ends up being this, fighters getting a push on big network and getting them into the living rooms of people. To, if this made Deontay Wilder more noted, you know, more noticeable to casual fans who now want to follow his career. If the few times that like Keith Thurman and, and Sean Porter, those type of guys were in your living room, that's a good thing. If this leads to, if all these other deals fall apart for the PBC, all the other networks, and they, they're, they're just essentially with Showtime now, they're the, they're the home promoter manager of Showtime, and it does lead to more fights on regular CBS with Showtime footing the bill like we saw for, you know, Garcia Thurman 
Thurman and, and Thurman Porter, that's a great success for boxing. If that's the end game for what this did, that's great. And if this influence, even though Bob Aaron, a top rank, will probably tell you it's unrelated. Todd DeBuff recently said it's unrelated. But if the PBC influenced top rank to get involved on regular TV and this ESPN deal, then Rafe, that's a good thing because two or you know, three years ago, you, you could not find boxing. You had to run it. You either had to run into it or someone had to force you to watch it. It was really hard to run into. You could not find it. If this gets it back in front of, people again i mean then it's a minor success coming out of the pbc we can do another podcast on what would have happened if the pbc had put their best foot forward and given you good fights every single telecast and every single network i think that's an interesting side to be but if this all influenced a future where we see more big fights on regular cbs and we see espn constantly putting out good top rank shows this could be a good thing indirectly in the right direction, Al Heyman. I would give you a high five if you ever let yeah, me Yeah, I'd kiss it. the ring for that. I mean, that's a good development if it turns out that way. All right. Let's get on to Primer Washed. You know, really my favorite segment of the whole show. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Come on in. The water's fine. Plenty of room for more wash fighters. This is Primer Washed Weekend Edition. Rafe Robert the Ghost Guerrero, age 34, on Saturday night, knocked down five times in a wild TKO3 loss to Omar Figueroa Jr. on Long Island. Guerrero has now lost three in a row, including five of his last seven. And if you're really critical, it should have been six of his last seven because that Aaron Martinez split decision should have never went in his favor. At 34, the Ghost, prime or washed? Uh, so washed. Yeah, Brian. Um, no, I, Guerrero is, we mentioned Juan Ma Lopez earlier. Uh, Guerrero is the most like comic, not comically, I don't know how to even, the most out, outlandishly washed fighter we've seen since, <laughs> since Juan Ma. And he's, he's washed in the same way in that he is, he, his chin is totally gone. He has no punch resistance left, you know, and, and that's sort of amazing coming from a guy who we saw, you know, in some serious wars. I mean, take really clean counter shots for 12, for 12 rounds from Danny Garcia shots that knock out other guys, uh, that war with Yush, with Kamagai, uh, that all of these, the, you know, those, but, but those fights took their toll and, you know, Guerrero was fighting in a fan friendly sort of reckless style and brawling in all those. And I think that, you know, obviously that has caught up to him. Now he gets caught anywhere and he just collapses like a sack of potatoes. Um, you know, I, I he he's I don't I don't know what what yeah, more he can do. He's at this comedically point. washed. He needs to be off of our TV in in these sort of main co-main event roles. He's 34. It doesn't actually lead you to believe that we won't see him again in the sad reality of boxing. But it can't be in fights against against top guys. And really mixed into some of those Aaron Martinez, David Peralta losses slash should have been a losses. He's fought top fighters, right? Like fought Danny Garcia, fought uh, Keith Thurman, and at times looked okay against them, but really had just de devolved into this full-time brawler role. Made a fun fight on Saturday, without question. I mean, he showed in, in tremendous heart. And you do you'd have to give him his, his due, right? Like he's been in fun fights throughout his career, whether it be blinding Birdo or, or whatever. I mean, he's, he's pushed the limit and given you some fun fights. He made a big leap up and wait from back in the day. Heck, hashtag never forget. Boxing writer David Avia has got to be the one who's most hurt by this because he had Guerrero on his pound for pound list even after Guerrero got shut out by Floyd. Never forget. But in all reality, he had a great run. Well, he had a good run. He had a fun run. Mr. CrossFit himself. But man, you got to get him off your TV now because Figueroa was not a puncher at lightweight. 
Now, like you mentioned last week, he's at welterweight, and he's still not a puncher, but he was knocking Ghost all over the ring. Five knockdowns should have been stopped at the end of the second round after the third knockdown, but that ref gave him a, gave him a long hook because of his history. He is washed Rafe, number two, Joe Smith Jr., our favorite construction worker from the local 66 uh, Long Island Union there, went out to uh, California in, that, in, in one of the undercard bouts on the HBO card, fought through nine rounds with a broken jaw after dropping Sullivan Barrera in the first round and lost a decision, but it was actually a competitive, somewhat fun fight. I mean, Smith did not stop coming forward. It was only the second loss of his career. He didn't show at any point during that fight. You, you could tell there were jaw issues because they put the ice pack up against it. But, man, you talk about the, the, the balls on this guy. I mean, this guy kept fighting forward. He's only 27. After a loss like this, do you think he's washed or what? No, not washed. I think, you know, we I think even though we hadn't seen it yet, we expected him to have some of these limitations. He hadn't shown the ability to, to you know, the really high-level boxing skills. Um, and that was the reputation he came into the Fanfara fight with as a as basically a, a good tough club fighter from New York. Um, and he showed himself to be better than that in you know the wins over uh, Fanfara and Bernard Hopkins, even though there are some you know asterisks there to, with age and Fanfara being a little bit washed himself. Uh, but uh, no, he Joe Smith Jr. is not washed. He is uh, he has his limitations. I think you want to match him correctly. You want to. Uh, take you know, take take him from you know, uh, from this fight into something he can win and build him up again and and but he's got you you, sh you saw in the first round he still he really can punch that power is showing itself against top level opponents so uh some good matchmaking uh him continuing hopefully learning something from this fight about you know how how he can possibly compete better against uh the the, the more skilled boxers when he faces them um you know i think definitely not washed in fact i think he could come back and still be an exciting light heavyweight um however he does have a, a across the across the way in long beach yes. uh long island uh his former amateur rival shawnee monahan who got knocked out in two rounds against marcus brown he may be washed he i mean he you know i mean anyone no, we, we, he anyone stepped seen, up finally he mm -hmm. stepped up to high he finally stepped up and it was it was exactly it was sort of the worst version of what could have happened to him when he finally stepped up after fighting all those undercards in the in the in Madison Square Garden on the, in the theater and in the ballroom in the old felt forum all that stuff he finally stepped up and uh was basically the 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 poorer version of a club fighter um you know that might be the comeback fight for Joe Smith Jr. I mean oh, you yeah. have those put those guys together let them scrap it up Joe Smith Jr. probably should win that fight uh, and then and then get him back on track. Yeah, and they should book that fight. Uh, heck, book it in Long Beach, right? Right. Oh, it, not in Long Beach, but in Hunt, at the uh, at the uh, Nassau Coliseum. Man. Absolutely. Look, uh, no, Joe Smith is still much closer to prime. I'm going to give him a lot of credit for a unrefined fighter who's trying to masquerade on the elite level. He's got pretty sound and responsible defense. I mean, he moves his head. He covers up well. He just, you know, and for as we say unskilled, he, even though he's raw, he's not recklessly raw. He, you know, he just doesn't have a lot of wrinkles to his game. And man, is he tough. I, I want to see so much more of him after this fight because he worked hard to stay in this fight and make it a fun fight and make it almost where he almost had an outside chance at stealing one of the scorecards, even though I thought he lost cleanly. I mean, it was one of those tough performances. Rafe, number three, Takashi Mayora, age 33. 
couldn't force Miguel Burchelt into a brawl or into, or into the fight of the year type of potential that we all wanted in the HBO main event this week. Ended up losing by decision instead to Burchelt, who, who boxed well. He did the game plan that he had to do to, to not go through World War III and still come out with a W. It took away, of course, from the entertainment value, but do you get the, the sense that Takashi Miura at 33 is going in the wrong direction, primer washed? Uh, yeah, great game plan by Miguel Burchelt. I don't take anything away from him for for boxing. You know that was a smart thing to do because Takashi Miura is washed. Wow. Wow. Maybe I may not in a Robert Guerrero way. Not in a you know like you know take him out you know take him out behind the barn way. Um, but in just a washed on a high world level elite fighting against you know the the best fighters in a division yeah he doesn't belong in those fights i mean you could match him very care he's still very tough um he's you know he's he, he's very determined he was landing some pretty good like pretty pretty hard left you know those left hands were finally starting to land in the 12th round um so miura you know in that way he's still got a little left in the tank but he just can't compete on this really high level anymore i do think that he's lost a step he's down to just winging that left hand out there and hoping it lands getting off balance getting countered getting knocked down a lot um, I just, it, I, I guess not washed in a, you know, health way, but in a competitive way. I just don't see him competing with, with, with the best fighters in the world in, in, in his weight class. I'd still pop to throw him in any, any of those brawlers at 130. I'm still popping for it. Rafe, number four on Primer Wash this week at 37. King Arthur Abraham lost a near shutout decision to Chris Eubank Jr. on Saturday across the pond. Abraham who typically has had trouble with movement, had trouble with movement this time around. It felt like the end to me. I will answer this for us and say King Arthur is now. Rafe, do you disagree? Oh, I, I'm I'm totally with you. Uh, you know, and we knew we sort of we saw a version of this before when he lost to Turdo Zerdo Ramirez. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, I mean, a guy a guy who's taller, longer, and faster is is going to get off first and just make Arthur Abraham look bad, and it happened again. Uh, I think Abraham has sort of benefited from this weird bubble of you know decent washed fighters around his weight in Europe that he could skate by, like you said, you know Stieglitz. Uh, you know the 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 what was left of Martin Murray after Triple G yes. got done with him. Uh, the uh, Who was the other one? Did he fight Robin Krasnicki? Yes. Um, you know, all those guys are washed too, just slightly less washed. Might as well call uh, so Sven Aki. They, on. Get Sven Aki on the phone. Come on, yeah, give me Sven, Mikhail Shelsky. You know, he's still undefeated, right? <laughs> Abraham is washed. And one more for you, Rafe. Arthur Spielka. He lost a TKO4 against the unbeaten sloth Adam Konaki. The third KO loss overall for Arthur, his second in a row after a devastating knockout loss to Deontay Wilder, which which was devastating. Here's the problem, though. Spielka, fun fighter, Southpaw. He's only 27, though, Rafe. But he got dominated by the slow, straight-punching Konaki. Spielka, primer washed. I don't... Well, let's just say washed. And I say that I, I don't actually know that he is down a level or if, or if maybe he lost it. I think maybe Spilka just never, you know, may, may have always just had a very not not a pretty bad chin. I mean, remember uh, Brian Jennings knocked yes. him out and 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 uh, Spilka doing the same sort of like out on his feet, like like falling around the ring for 10 seconds before he finally went down. Yeah, I don't uh, think he he's that washed. Again. 
I think he's what? just he is who we thought he was, right? Right. Yeah. Exactly. You know. So I don't know if you consider that washed or or just never really was any that to begin with. Like I don't uh, think Fanfara is washed right now, and another Polish guy. I just think that he's always been vulnerable to punches, but he's had heart to come back and keep fighting. I think that's Spielka at this point. But you know who might be washed, even though he's an unbeaten uh, unbeaten guy on the way up, is Adam Konaki. Did you watch the interview? This guy is just this this bald looking big block of a man who's you know he's he's trying his best to make it make it in the world today but uh this guy is almost comically uh sort of washed in his own sort of natural personality did you get a feel of that brian kenny interview on, on uh ppc on fox there uh, i i have some homework to do i'm gonna now gonna need to check out some adam kaunaki oh yeah i'm gonna be watching this guy like a hawk closely washed or prime is in the books rafe we will close this week's episode with oh, what does it look like here? You know I love putting out fantasy matchups. You know I like talking about fights we could see, fights we should have seen, fights that only exist in my mind when I'm sitting by a fire with a cigar and a, and a nice cold one. Rafe, coming off of that talk about Juan Ma getting back into the game and making fights and forever we know we lost that great Yuri Gamboa fight because of Bob Arum's marinating back in 2011 when Orlando Salido jumped into our lives and got in the way of that and twice stopped Juan Ma. Gamboa coming off a really sad, I don't know if sad's the way, right, where really disappointing stoppage loss to Robinson Castellanos, a guy who we saw this weekend on HBO. In 2017 now, Juan Ma Gamboa. Oh, yeah, Rafe. What does it look like? It looks a little overmarinated to me, Brian. Oh. Uh, slightly overmarinated. However, no, I, this is a great. I mean, this is this is this this would be uh, this is the Wadma fight I would I would pop for more than Brian Vasquez, who we were talking about before. Uh, Jason you know, Velez, come on, how J- dare you? Job, man. Oh, my bad. My, a pro, you know, apologies to both. Yes, uh, uh, Jason Velez. Wadma, uh, Wadma You know that I don't think it would be a great fight, but uh, what does it look like? I think um, I think Wadma has more desire at this point in his career. Like he still has that crazy, I think I'm going to win this fight thing. Even when his like head is lolling around and he, you know, I mean, he was, he was still trying to get back up and, and beat Mikey Garcia when he was just getting, you know, every time he got touched, he was going down. Um, so I, I think, I think they, you know, they throw a lot of crazy punches. They have some wild exchanges and, uh, and Juanma is left standing. Wow. I think that, uh, first of all, how dare you to say that it doesn't make you pop, you'd not be interesting. I mean, to me, this is a kind of fight because I would be fired up. Rafe, because look, Gamboa's still got speed, right? But he's chinny. Wanma is chinny to the uh, size of the Pacific Ocean at this point. This would be a war. It would devolve into a war because Gamboa would try to box for like a you know round and a half, but Wanma would lure him in. They'd both hit the canvas. This would be a four to five round mini washed classic that I would run back two, three, four, and five times, <laughs> Rafe. All right, that's what I'm talking about. You could put this fight on a barge in the middle of the ocean between the two home nations on a cruise ship. In fact, a Western Caribbean cruise ship. I'd sign up and get front row of this on the top of the deck. This would be a fantastic fight for me. What do you got for me on, on yeah, what is? Brian, I think you're right. I mean, I, you did a much better job evoking all the glorious aspects of that fight, but I think we see it in a similar way. Um, but we, we hinted at this earlier, and you can approach this from both a selling of the fight angle as well as the in the actual ring. What would 2017 right now, say late August, Conor McGregor versus Ricardo Mayorga? Oh, you serious? Do it, are, yeah. Are you serious, dude? Oh, man. Oh, wow. Uh, 
So Mayorga at this point is obscenely washed, right? Like he did the MMA thing when he was fat. He came back and fought Shane Mosley in that pay-per-view that Glazer said sold about a, a pay-per-view and a half, and one of the buys was by Tito the Monkey. Mayorga is 43, Rafe. Wow, the buildup would be absolutely incredible. I only imagined uh, him and, and McGregor like n literally biting each other, just like gnawing at each other's flesh, just ripping out mouthfuls. This would be absolutely incredible. Mayorga, if you really look at his record, he hasn't been in a fight that's mattered since 2011 when he when he gave a tougher-than-expected performance in that pay-per-view against Cotto, right? Like, he got stopped late. Like, he always gets stopped late by the bigger names, of course, you know, whether it's Mosley, you know, De La Hoya, all those guys. He, he's he's going to get stopped when he steps up in class. Trinidad, he's so bizarrely washed, but the thing is, though, it's like we don't really know if Conor McGregor can actually box on a real level. I think it would no, be we don't. <laughs> an absolute war, and it would be the perfect kind of like, a lot of people have said, hey, McGregor, don't shoot for the stars and do a pay-per-view against Floyd, right? Like, fight somebody and make a lot of pay-per-view money by fighting somebody you know you can defeat. Imagine if this wasn't 43-year-old fat Mayorga, and it was like four years ago Mayorga. Imagine that, and Conor could take some damage from him. They'd have a brawl, but he could still knock Mayorga out in the end so that's my what was it look like it would look like a great brawl with Connor coming over the top and getting the knockout don't you think that Mayorga still might win at 43 I mean what if McGregor really just cannot box he is not he is not a boxer yeah, but they both. It's not like uh, Mayorga relies on technique to get the guy down. It's gonna. It would be a wild war of winging punches. And the thing is, you know, we don't. What we don't know is how Connor's MMA punching style equates to boxing, right? Like he does close space quickly. He does have a quick left hand, but we've never seen him do the true boxing form. I think these guys would just be winging shots at each other. I'd take the younger man in this in this regard, a guy who I know has a good chin in McGregor. He's knocking our guy out. That's the bottom line. All right. Primer What's washed next? as we move on. I want a heavyweight one for you. It's sorry, not primer washed. Wow, that was a slip of the tongue. What did it look like? What does it look like, Rafe? 1995, a fight we sh we, we thought we were going to see around this time. A post-jail pre-bite Mike Tyson, right? Still getting built up to look like a destroyer, making guys like uh, Bruce Seldon quit in the ring, right, and just kind of fall down against a post. It happens. George Foreman, a fight that could have been a title fight, could have been for the lineal heavyweight championship. We never saw it. That version of old George who can punch like a mule and actually was showing a certain level of boxing technique and defense against a less slick but still hungry and crazy Tyson, still not completely falling off the train. Rafe, what does that look like? Because I really wanted to have seen that one. Brian, I, I'm a I'm a I'm a bit of a Tyson believer, at least uh, you know enough of one to to think that uh, even though he wasn't the same fighter after jail, uh, you know as 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 he was before, um, I think that you know Mike Tyson would have been able to to soundly defeat, maybe even stop George Foreman. Whoa, at that age. whoa, uh, soundly, I, soundly, okay, soundly get it. So soundly defeat in the sense that Michael Moore for nine and a half rounds soundly outboxed and defeated. George until the knockouts. You're saying that? No, I think it would look more like a Tyson fight. I mean, it would, you know, he, I don't know, man. I like, like Michael, that, that fight, that Michael Moore fight was boring as hell. Uh, this would be a brawl. This version of Tyson against George Foreman would be a brawl. 
and I think George could stand up to the bully and, and break the will. Because on that George comeback, there were some fights where he took a beating and had the to fight The Holyfield fight was insane, yeah. I mean, there was there was that one fight that he had where both eyes were, like, crazy uh, swollen and blackened, and he got the decision. Was it Alex Stewart? And he got the decision and wore the shades in the, in the interview with Merchant afterwards and got beaten down but survived it. George could take a beating, and I don't think Tyson fought anybody who can punch that hard during that run. I mean, come on. This would be interesting. Yeah. I'm, just, you know, I'm going with youth, man. I don't, I don't, I'm, I, I hear you, but I, I'm not listening. You know, I mean, this is, I, so I hear Jimmy, but I'm, not, I can't quite listen. It'd be listen different if one. you're like, well, Tyson's going to just be too young for him, and he's going to stop him early. But you're saying this would go late. This would go into deep waters. No, I think he could stop him early. I think it might be All too right. much for him. All right, I'll, I'll, I'll I mean, even, it. even, even not great Tyson. I can hear Jimmy. I can hear Jimmy. Round yeah. us out here. What do you got for me? On what does it look like? All right, this is, you know, because I feel like I, I feel some sympathy for, um. For Saul Canelo Alvarez, who has a huge fight coming up later this year that everyone has forgotten about because of Floyd Mayweather and Conor McGregor. McGregor, let's get them back into the let's get let's get Canelo back into the picture. Back, let's go back into 2012 when there was that amazing stretch of opponents who uh, Canelo was supposed to fight who kept falling out of fights for one reason or another. Yes. Um, and this one was was tragic. Was Paul Williams was supposed to be be Canelo's opponent, and that's when he had his motorcycle accident that paralyzed him from the waist down. I guess if that fight had gone down in 2012, what does it look like? Well, just to recap, Paul Williams got one shot knocked out, by, of course, by Sergio Martinez in their 2010 rematch. His next fight was the majority decision win over Lara, in which he looked slow, and everyone thought Lara should have won. The final fight of his career was that decision win over Nobuhiro Ishida, where it just didn't look like the same Paul Williams. So this is what mutes my excitement here, is that, he wasn't the same fighter after the Sergio Martinez knockout, right? Like, it, like he was still coming at you with that pressure. He just wasn't as sharp. This was a young Canelo who hadn't been fully tested at that point. He hadn't jumped in, of course, to the Trout fight for another year. He was still on the level of beating an old Shane Mosley and sort of beating an Alfonso Gomez. That was the level of Canelo at that point. Canelo would have to deal with volume and size like he hadn't before. It was an attractive fight at that point for many reasons, but I do remember in my heart of hearts wondering at that point if Paul Williams was going to essentially never be the same from that Sergio fight. I still live with that belief. So what does a 70% Paul Williams in that case look like against a up-and-coming Saul Canelo? I think Canelo would have to show his chin, of course, and, and have to be in some hairy situations at times, but would win a competitive unanimous decision because you're not getting Paul Williams out of there. Outside of that one shot, this guy always had a great chin. I mean, that war with Margarito from 07 is fantastic to go back and watch. I think Canelo would have showed his colors in a way that some people think he still hasn't, right, Rafe? Like, there's some people that think we still haven't seen Canelo in a firefight and if he can dig in, right? Cotto never attacked him with the left hooks like we saw. He always fought smaller guys. There was never anyone. Uh, Angulo tried, but it, he took the black pill before that fight, without question, right? <laughs> like, took the, got it from James Kirkland in the mail and took it. I think this would have been the fight that gave us the respect for Saul that he's still fighting for because of that one misstep against Jose Miguel Cotto. I like Canelo by decision, and I think, unfortunately, for, for our guy Paul Williams, it would have shown us that he was going to really fall from grace and be done with the elite level. That sounds about right. Uh, I think, uh, I mean, I, you know, I'm the guy who managed to pick just about every Canelo opponent over Canelo in some <laughs> I can talk myself into anyone, even though I know it's wrong. I can almost get there. Looking back in time, seeing how how Canelo has gotten better and, and the skills that he's shown, I do think he would have won. I do think that the same way that not the same, not maybe not as well as someone like uh Erslandi Lara outboxed, not as slick as he outboxed Paul Williams. 
Um, but I think that that he that that Canelo would land some really really clean counter you know counter punches and then and then and maybe attack the body in a way we didn't see many guys go after uh, go after Williams. Uh, I think it would uh, I think that he would have won a decision. Maybe even have stopped him. Uh, even though he you know yeah I I mean uh, Williams. He, you know, his chin looked like it was back against Lara because Lara tattooed him um, and Lara can punch. But uh, Canelo, you know, maybe, you know, hurts him to the body, maybe lands that one, you know, another version of that magical counter, uh, you know, not magic, not, not my magic or my happy punch, but my lucky punch. <laughs> mox, um, mox. And, and managed and managed to get, I, I could actually have seen him uh, stopping Paul Williams. Uh, it maybe, wow. you know, wow. I, think it's on, I think it's on the table. I think it's on the table. I'm, I'm normally used to ginger on ginger crime from you shooting down big red hair, but you're, you're back. Mia Moore, you're, you were born ready. You're, you're supporting him. <laughs> Yeah, more. Yes. Uh, you know, you're you're next, my friend. Wow. Wow. Well, that'll wrap it up, Rafe. A, another uh, sound boxing podcast in the books. We are working on getting some some big name guests lined up in the future, some entertaining guests, some guests that you're going to pop for. If we get these guys hooked up and lined in and ready to go, you can find me on Twitter at B Campbell ESPN. Find Rafe at Rafe Bugs B O G S Rafe. There's a book out there people can buy, right? No doubt. It's called Two and Two, McSorley's My Dad and Me. Uh, it's about my father's career uh, working at McSorley's Old Ale House in New York. He's been there for 45 years. The bar has been there for 163, and I grew up there. And the book is about all those things. If anyone wants to check it out, please do. And if anyone want to make, want, wants to make a movie about it, Rafe, uh, we got to find an actor to play you. I'm thinking Prime Remy from Higher Learning. Oh, don't don't go there with me, man. That's people used to call me that at basketball tournaments. You serious? Yeah, uptown. We used to play uptown in tournaments, and I would be the white guy on the team. And oh. people, it was like you know mid '90s, so the movie was fresh out. People would be like, you know, every time I shot, people you say the word shoot and Remy. Every time oh. I shot the ball, people would be like, do it for your people, Remy. Oh, was, that's uh, bad, dude. They, I mean, if they could have just called you like Ostertag or McIlvain or, or any of those uh, those great jobber centers of of the of the white '90s, there. Uh, it's wow. New York, man. It's New York. We bring it. Wow, just to end on such a sad tone, but that's the way it is. Hey, we're going to be back next week. Check us out. Thanks so much for joining us. Get on social media. Hit us with hashtag in this corner. Subscribe, rate, and review all the good stuff. Rafe, hit him with two words on the way out of here. We out. <laughs>